Trumos, Perik Tes, Mishnah Zion 9.7, the last of the Perik. And the truth is there are really two separate Mishnayas, so to speak, um, in this last Mishnah. The first is really a follow-on on the previous discussion, and it's talking about the status of onions and the like um, that are in a non-Jew's field, where the non-Jew owns a field. The non-Jew replanted the onions from those fields without having taken um, tithes as, of course, is the case, since lunges are not going to take ties, they're exempt from that. They don't have such a mitzvah, obviously. Um, and even in the event that the onions had already reached Gemar Malach and therefore would have been restricted, perhaps, from the rules of Achilles Arai, of, of casual eating, even so, this linear rules leniently and says that the offspring, the growths from such onions that are replanted, are totally unrestricted, and a Jew who's participating in the harvesting with the non-Jew of that field, that Jew may eat awry, casually, onions that are growing in such a field, um, and the usual restrictions that we've set up in the previous Mishnayas don't apply in that scenario. That's all the Mishnah really says, and we'll read you the words first. It says, im If a person is uh, weeding the field with a non-Jew, and the non-Jew owns the field, and he's the one who planted these chasios. Chasios is a generic term for all these kinds of foods like onions, garlic, leek, etc. Afalpisha peros tevel, excuse me, afalpisha perosav tevel, even though his, the non-Jew's produce is tevel and needs tithing, um, and it might have been that he planted it after it had been reached Gomorrah and would have been restricted from Achilles Arai, nevertheless, ochumahem Arai, the Jew in this field may eat these new growing onions or whatever they are um, in a casual derech arai way. That's all the Mishnah says. The truth is the Mishnah is saying quite a mouthful because um, it's built on two assumptions which are really contentious. The first is Machloka's time, whether or not a piece of land in Eretz Yisrael that's owned by a non-Jew is even the produce from such a piece of land is even obligated in tithes. Um, and that's a big question. Our Mishnah is going with the opinion, like Rav Meir, which says that even if a non-Jew owns a land of owns a strip of land in Eretz Yisrael, the produce on that land remains obligated in tithing. Um, the Hebrew term for that, which is maybe worth noting, is Ein kinyan Yisrael There's no way for non-Jew to have an ownership in the land such that it would be exempt from its produce needing to be tithed. In any case, so that means, of course, we're saying now that the produce from this field is obligated in tithes. Um, but even so, there's a separate machlokas denying whether or not uh, such produce, if the Gemar Malacha happens through the non-Jew, if it's still obligated in tithes at all, um, or if it just becomes a non-issue. That is to say, the same way, or in a similar way, I should say, to how if the Beis Mikdash Hekdesh, owns a field, and the Beis Mikdash's agent the trustee, the gizbar, does the gemar malacha of the produce that came from that field. So the produce is forever exempt from tithing. Um, so similar, in a similar sort of way, um, there are those who say if the non-Jew did the gemar malacha, it, when it reached the time to tithe, that was not relevant because he's a non-Jew. And that being the case, it never becomes obligated in tithes. But our mission is saying, even if you hold that the produce of a non-Jew's land in Eretzrael is obligated in tithes. And even if you hold that, even if the Gemar Malach happened through the non-Jew, it still needs to be tithed, even so, the rabbis were not gozer in such a scenario where such onions, which now had reached the stage of Gemar Malacha and needed to be tithed, and therefore 
Achilles Arai, casual eating is now forbidden. Even so, if one non-Jew planted such onions, the growths from the onions would be permitted for a Jew to eat again Achilles Arai. So that's the first part of the Mishnah. Um, and the second part now is in a different point. We're focusing on the status of the Tumah status of Truma that's planted in the ground. So the Mishnah takes an extreme case. The extreme case is if you actually take a Truma plant, if you will, and replant it, what happens? So it's going to talk about, a Mishnah talks about Shasile Truma. Um, it's hard to translate this word exactly. It means like a plant. Let's say you have like a spring onion, you know, like a scallion. You pull it out the ground along with other scallions, you harvest your scallions, and you take your Truma appropriately and you set aside this particular scallion to be uh, Truma. And then, however it happens, that scallion, that's Truma, becomes Tame. So now, it was designated for the Kohana, but since it's Tame, the Kohen can't eat it. What happens if you take that scallion and replant it? So what happens to the Tuma status? So the answer is that the Tuma status dissipates. When you take that scallion, which is food, and put it back in the ground, you've now stopped it from being food. You've, you've made it non-food. It's now a plant again. And plants simply are not, are not able to be Tame. Recipients of Tuma really can only come in one of four categories. Adam, which are people, Kalem, utensils, Ochlin, food, and Mashkin, certain drinks. So a scallion is food, but once you put it in the ground, it becomes a plant. It's no longer food anymore, so it can't be tummy. Um, and therefore the tumma dissipates. It's really quite analogous to if you had a, a bowl, and the bowl became tummy, and you broke the bowl in half, so now the bowl is not a functioning bowl anymore, and it becomes tahor. And if you glue the bowl back together... Again, assuming it's not a glass bowl, it's not a metal bowl, which has certain rabbinic, um, but if it's just a regular, I don't know, wooden bowl or something, so then the reconstituted bowl remains tower. So the same kind of thing is happening here. The reconstituted plant, as you put it back in the ground, becomes tower. Um, but even so, the rabbis are putting restrictions on and are saying that not that notwithstanding, we don't want you to do this. I mean, we don't want you to sort of be able to cheat the system and replant all your... Tame truma produce make the tuma disappear. Um, that would lead to people like the general thrust of our whole parak here, people retaining tame truma and accidentally eating it. So that being the case, we're gonna make it still be tame. And the mission therefore says inside, Shasile Truma Shinitmu. If you have plants that were edible plants, they've been detached from the ground, they became tame, they were designated as truma and they're tame truma now. But Shasalan, you replant them, so then Taharu Militame. It, they've now been sort of relieved of their ability to convey tuma. They re become tahor all over again because they stop being food, as I explained. Nevertheless, vasur they still remain truma, of course, because the truma status doesn't disappear, and we'll treat them rabbinically as tame truma, meaning that they can't be eaten, ad until one cuts off all the green that's growing over there, as um, the the edible part gets cut off, and then what regrows a second time, that will become permissible to a kohen as truma, but truma tahora. The word yagom we've seen a number of times in the Masechtis, in the excuse me in the in the seder so far. In all the other cases, it meant to like raise a tree, meaning to cut a tree to within a tefach on the ground. And it's the same kind of use over here. We're saying you take that little scallion and you chop it off, like all the green stuff growing at the top, um, chop it off, and then what grows a second time becomes permissible. It's still truma, but now it becomes truma tahora. So, but the, until you cut it off, we midrabban and require that the the edible green remain remain tummy midurbanan. Rabbi Yehuda Omer he argues, and according to the Bartanura, he is arguing the meaning he's even more strict, and he says Ad Shiagom 
V'yishne. He says, cutting off the green edible part once is not enough. You have to take that scallion, plant on the ground, chop off the green edible part, let a new green sub grow, and then chop it off a second time. Then what grows the third time, that's what you could eat, says Rabbi Yehuda. The Allah does not follow him, the Allah like Tanakama, that one cutting is enough. Now, let me just, now before I end this Mishnah, I want to address an important point which ties the topic to the whole chapter together, the whole parak together. The main thrust of our whole parak was that Gedule Truma, Truma, that the rabbis set it up, that there'd be an economic disincentive for Kohanim to have their tummy truma, let's say they have wheat that became tummy, to let it sit on the shelf and then replant it in the planting season um, and sort of essentially launder their tummy truma because what comes out the ground would become um, like a fresh, have a fresh start, Midoraisa, and therefore the Kohanim would be prudent, economically prudent, um, to keep their tummy, let's say, wheat lying around so they could replant in the in the planting season and sort of recapture their economic loss that they got from their wheat becoming tummy. As we said, the rabbis didn't want that to happen um, because they were afraid that inadvertently the kohanim would leave this tummy wheat lying around in their kitchens and they're liable to eat it on accident and now be an Isra Doraisa and the rabbis didn't want that. So the rabbis said, listen, there's no point in keeping it around because anyways, what comes out of the ground will be true all over again. Now, our Mishnah here is saying that the tuma status of that truma will be washed away by replanting it. That seems a little bit inconsistent with our, you would think, inconsistent with the first part of our Mishnah, or first part of the parak, meaning it seems that if you're a Kohen, you had, let's say, tame wheat, now you can't eat it, but if you wait to planting season and plant it, what will come out will be truma, but it'll be tahor truma, so you could eat it again. So now you essentially are gaining again, and you're getting back what you lost, if you will, you now you have edible wheat, what was not edible. And it seems that if you don't treat what comes out as being tummy all over again, Madurabanan, then you've sort of um, eviscerated, you've, you've, you've taken the guts out of the rabbinic requirement to the rabbinic requirement to treat Gedule Truma as Truma. So again, just to make, I'm going to make sure we're perfectly on the same page. So up to now, before this mission, we're talking about Truma coming back as being Truma, but now we're saying that the Truma, if you put the, this mission and the previous Mishnah together, we'll say that if you plant Tame Truma, what comes out of the ground is still Truma, but it'll be Tahor Truma. And that been the case, you might ask the question, well, now the Kohen would not be so irrational to just let his his uh, Tame Truma sit around on the shelf until planting season. He'll get Tahor Truma and he'll eat it. That's what he wants to do anyways with his food. So then what was the point of the rabbinic injunction in the first place? How could it be effective? So the answer is it will still be effective um, for two reasons. First of all, a Kohen who is fortunate enough to own land would have to be out of his mind to grow a truma crop, meaning if he seeds his fields with truma wheat, all the wheat that grows this year will be truma wheat. And truma wheat is, is only worth a fraction of what hulen wheat is worth because hulen wheat you can sell to anybody and can be eaten by anybody, but truma wheat only can be eaten by Kohanim. And not only that, only can be eaten by Tahor Kohanim. So the Kohen, certain times of, you know, he wouldn't be able to eat at certain times. His wife couldn't eat at certain times and so on. And she's Tamea. So it's really restricted and really unvaluable, invaluable, really not valuable. Um, and that being the case, um, the Kohen would be foolish to hold the Tame wheat and plant it. And that being the case, the Guzero is... The rabbinic conjunction is, is effective even if what comes out the ground remains tahor. 
Okay, so that's the mission, that's the peric. And now we go on to a whole new topic in the next chapter 10.